Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. morning. I want to give you guys a few announcements before we get started here. Uh, We don't have a stage this morning. I will get into why that is later. This was not our desire. Amen. Um, Real quick, next week we wanted to give an All Nations Initiative update. And we're going to put a pause on that. If you don't know what the All Nations Initiative, it is a fundraising campaign so that we might acquire this building along with a few other initiatives that are part of that. So we're gonna give an update next Sunday. The reality is, in getting a building, there's a lot of negotiations that take place, a lot of detailed negotiations. So because we're still in the midst of that, we'd rather give you a full update, let you know whether we're gonna get this place or not. We should know something, though, by March. So we will give you an update by March, um, and we will spend our entire Sunday essentially giving a state of the church letting you know where we're going to move forward and how we're going to move forward, if it's going to be this space or if God would give us another. In light of that, we do ask, though, that while we're figuring that out, we believe that owners of buildings aren't in control. We believe that God is in control. Amen. And so because of that, we want to uh, petition our sovereign God. We want you to know that we have a prayer call every Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m., to seven. We're not asking you if you're a morning person per se, but what we are asking is that you would take your time and set aside some time in the morning so that you might be with us. Now, we continue to repeat this. If you want to know anything happening in our church, it is on our Bridge Church app. You would access the Zoom link to the prayer call on that Bridge Church app. Thirdly, we are going to take some time. We have a justice arm of our church called Pray March Act. And we are going to take some time to be praying over our city. That's going to be coming up on February 22nd. That's this Thursday on Zoom. Again, if you want the link, go to our Bridge Church app. We do ask that you would register so we can get a feel of how many people are going to be on that Zoom call. But go down, uh, download the app if you haven't yet, and then get that link. Again, that's Thursday coming up here at 7 p.m. One of the ways that you grow as a Christian is not just your understanding of the Bible or your knowledge, but it is your ability to be in community and putting your love for God on display in community. It's with that in mind, that's why we do growth groups. Um, We can't say this another way. Oftentimes people use Sunday as their only means of getting community, but then they say they're lonely and they're trying to figure out their Christian life. Our means of getting you into community consistently is the growth group. That's the plan. But growth groups do have a sign up and sign ups open and they close. This is the last Sunday to sign up for growth groups. Amen. Amen. You heard. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So 
Uh, we're going to talk more about that at the end of this service, but uh, we're gonna, there's a text in for it. We're going to give you that text in, but that's the opportunity we want to give, and we believe it's a great opportunity to grow with other believers. And lastly, Pastor Rasul, again, will be leading this Wednesday upstairs, uh, continuing our series on sex and sexuality, A Better Story. It's going to continue on breaking down the culture and breaking down the issues of sex and sexuality in the Bible. So we ask that you guys get a chance to come out to that this Wednesday. Well, we're going to continue on in the book of James. I wonder if you'd pray with me. Gracious God, it is um, not an expectation. It is a grace that you give us that you would even want to talk to us. We're honored that you revealed who you are through your word. We're grateful, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you illuminate the word of God. But not only do you put your word and you reveal yourself, but you convict us, you speak to us. And so though we are in a room corporately, Jesus, you have the power to speak to us individually. You know where we are specifically. You know how we respond to you and to others. So in light of that, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Let not this be a message built on the cleverness of men. Rather, let this be the power of the Holy Spirit speaking into the heart and the life of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. amen. Well, we're continuing on in the book of James and it has been, uh, James is a very interesting book because uh, the reason why we named it the book of James is because it is the series is because it is a book that jumps to different themes. Uh, we've been talking about temptation. Uh, later on, we're going to talk about how you speak to one another. Uh, today, we're talking about anger. And really what James is trying to do, he's very practical. He, he's getting at what does it look like to live practically the everyday life of a believer. And if there's a theme a vision he has for us in how we live as believers, it's to live life under control, amen? The Bible says it this way, for God, 2 Timothy 1, for God has, has given us, or for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so being under control, your desires don't have control of you. Your lust doesn't have control over you. Your anger doesn't have control over you. When you give God control and his spirit controls you. It's interesting in the gym, you know, when you're working out, you can always tell when someone's new to the gym because they'll try to pick up the heaviest weight possible. And when they pick it up, they just kind of lug it up and you see their bodies jerking back and forth. And in their mind, they're like, I just picked up a 50 pound weight and so I'm very strong, but my body is doing all, they're popping and locking, trying to get the weight up. But the reality is strength is not seen by your ability to pick up a heavy weight. It's actually your ability to control the weight. The idea they talk about in resistance training is tempo. In other words, another way of putting it is time under tension. You, if you wanna see someone who's strong, watch them lift up a weight slowly back and forth. That shows their strength. In the same way, sometimes we think people are strong because they're intimidating. But in reality, strength is actually having your anger under control. It's being able to communicate in such a way where people may even know you're angry, but you're not trying to herk and jerk and put yourself out there, but actually you have the control 
of the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of the theme that James is giving. It's interesting because I was, I was uh, doing a leadership meeting after church one Sunday, and I asked people, hey, in your house, how was anger dealt with? Did, did people in your house, in your home, when they were angry, did they say, you know, James, I was really upset at you today, and I'd like to have a conversation with you later so we can kind of come to some solutions. Everybody was like, no, my dad was yelling and screaming. We got belts, tools, and my dad wanted me to pick out this arsenal to whip my butt and all this different stuff, right? Like, it was all these different conversations. So no one said that there was kind of these calm, peaceful solutions. In fact, it was either explosion or implosion. Ken Sandy, in his book, Peacemaking, says we tend to do three things. We're either peace faking, peace breaking, or peacemaking. There's a very good chance growing up in your home you saw a lot of peace faking. You knew something was wrong, but nobody talked about it. Elephants in the room just doing their thing. Or there was peace breaking, yelling, anger, explosion, confusion, all the time, intimidation. And rarely was there peacemaking. And today, James wants us, he's giving us a vision of the type of person that is under control and is always trying to make peace. Amen? Let's look here in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He says this in James chapter 1, 19 through 20. You can go there in your, on your app or phone or your Bible, or you can look here on the screen. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I wonder if you say quick to hear with me, ready? Quick to hear, quick to hear. That's the first thing he says. What James is kind of imagining is you are in a conversation with someone and the emotions are hot. Conversation is intense. Feelings are deep. And the conversation is starting to move in such a way where you want to let the person know what you think. You want to let them know how you feel. Well, James, in his imagery of this conversation, he says, if we're going to be this person under control, making peace, the first thing you have to do is be quick to hear. It's hard to be quick to hear when you got something to say, isn't it? I got something to say, and you think I'm a punk, and I'm not a punk, you know what I'm saying? God let you know. But the Bible actually has a phrase for people that don't care what other people think, Okay. Bible uses this imagery twice in Proverbs 18. He says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his opinion. Have you met some fools? Are you a fool? Amen. <laughs> Amen. If one, Proverbs 18 and 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. So, in other words, he says, if you're spending all your time speaking and never listening, you're a fool. He uses the same idea of folly, and he calls him a fool earlier. So, we can summarize. This is what Solomon said. He could summarize, and we could say, fools are in love with their own thoughts. 
So why would I listen to you when I already thought, I already know, I already know, I already know. You know those people like, yeah, 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 yeah. Those people, yeah. He says those people are fools. And they actually don't believe the person they're speaking to has value in words. So why listen? Now, what I've learned is there are some people who try to out-talk you. They create conversation competitions, right? They just out-talk you. So that's how they don't listen. But there are some people who don't talk, but they ain't listening either. I've learned that over time. Just because they're not talking doesn't mean they're actually listening. Because to listen, I actually want to have to hear what you have to say. So the Bible, Proverbs, is actually contrasting foolishness with wisdom. So we could say foolishness is when I put no value in what other people have to say, but wisdom would be taking the time to hear what someone has to say. What I have learned as a pastor is I give people value and worth by hearing what they have to say. I also want you to know, hearing what you say doesn't mean I agree. Amen? Amen. Amen. Somebody say amen. Uh, lis listening and agreement aren't the same thing. But, but, but I, what I've learned is I can always learn something because I might have miscommunicated. I, I might have said it in a way that made it unclear. I, I might have I alluded to something that I didn't intend to allude to. So I can, learn from, I can learn from what you have to say. Whether it's someone in the children's ministry, a children's director, or someone on the street. Humility gives people value in their words. And so... This is what wisdom, so you're in a conversation, it's getting intense. James says, be under control. Here's the first thing, be quick to hear. But secondly, the second thing he moves to is be slow to speak. Say that with me, slow to speak. Be slow to speak. I tell couples in my marriage counseling that if you want to really end up having a mature relationship, when you are feeling contention, try to slow the conversation down. You know, folks act like they're lawyers and whatnot. And they go, actually, and actually, well, actually, well, actually. And it's all this speed. And if you just slow the conversation down and actually try to hear one another, you'll get to a healthier place. Slow to speak. A potent tool of de-escalation is listening, being quick to hear, and once you listen, repeating back to the person what they said so that they know that they've been heard. And oftentimes, it takes away this feeling of a competition, and now we're moving into solutions because someone feels heard. And oftentimes, it is the mature person that's able to de-escalate, or the person who has strength. And so, what then would be the problem? Well, a problem would be is if we don't de-escalate, but instead we try to match the emotions of the people we're talking to. And I want you to know in the mighty name of Jesus, you do not need to match the emotions of people you're talking to. It's generally unhealthy if you try to match what the person is feeling. 
I learned this the hard way as a young pastor. I used to pastor another church in North Carolina. I was 29 when I first became a pastor at the height of wisdom, 29, amen. And, uh, and so I came in to pastor the church and there was a pastor, former pastor, his church had just closed. And I didn't have a backup preacher, you know what I'm saying? And so he felt it would be good. He, he vied to be my number two preacher. And I, I said, cool, I would, I would love that. Um, I need to get to know you, so let's take some time. So after a month went by, he was like, well, how much time am I waiting? I was like, you know, by you asking how much time makes me feel like I shouldn't even tell you a time, I think, I, let's, just, let's just, let me let, get to know you and I, I can't give you, I can't give you an exact time. So a year goes by and he's been a problem. And so then he wants to meet because he's, he's ready to preach. And so he sits down with me, him and his wife, they're there and he's in his office. And he's, he's doctor, this, that, and the other. And I'm lowly Pastor James, you know what I'm saying? And so he sits down with me and he says, um, you know, I've, I've been serving here and I, I believe it's time for me to give an opportunity. You, you, you are quenching the spirit and this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, well, you know, I, I really don't feel that it's time and I, I really don't have an answer of when that would be. Now, he starts getting more upset. His wife starts amening everything he's saying. So I feel like I'm in high school, right? Cause she's just like, yeah, yeah, get him, get him. You know, and so I'm here like, okay, let me just try to stay calm. And you know, the Bible says, Paul says, don't let anyone look down on your youth, right? But being a model and example and all that. Well, I decided the first part I get, don't let him look down on your youth. But I was, I added the rest. I was like, show him you're not a punk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That they think I'm young, they think I'm, I'm, so I start matching his intensity. He says, you, you know, you're quenching the spirit. I'm not quenching the spirit. He's like, yes, you are. I'm like, no, I'm not. And we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's getting intense and wild. And I learned a hard lesson. Um, in sports, they have what's called home field advantage. You know what that is? That is, we play on this field all the time. This is our house, and you're not going to mess with our house. This is where we play. It's where we play all the time. And I realized that I choose to live in the spirit, but I was having a moment in the flesh. But this man lives in the flesh, and he has moments in the spirit. And when you try to operate in the flesh with someone who lives in the flesh, they got home field advantage. That's, that's where they hang out all the time. They, they're like, yeah, this is my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to get, oh, you want to get. And I was like, I'm going to get crazy. He was like, no, I am crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is what I do, baby. And I was like, you right. I was wrong. Because I, honestly, he, it got to the point where it was like, we might fight. And what would it look like me beating that man's tail? <laughs> Because I, I wanted to, and I, I, but I did not. I, I, I was strong in the Lord. But it was him and his wife, and I felt ganged up on. I believe that what I, what I learned was um, sometimes we want to be spiritual people, but just show we got a little bit of flesh in us. You know what I mean? You ain't got to say, man, I know, I already know. 
Every now and then you want to just be like, I can. I got the flesh right here. You know what I'm saying? In my back pocket. I still know the world. And, and it doesn't produce godly things. You want people to honor your walk with God and be intimidated by you in the flesh. And those are two different things and they won't work. Let me let you also know that as a leader, if I'm talking to any leaders in here, what you do in moderation, people will do in excess. So if you, if you put on the flesh just a little, your people or those people under you or those people that are watching you, they will do it all the more because you are giving them license by your model and example. So I made that mistake early. So understand being slow to anger and giving this moment of being slow to speak and quick to hear are all part of this conversational display. So that's the end game that Paul gives, or James rather gives, is being slow to anger. Look back in James 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Say that with me, slow to anger. Well, that's, that's kind of the third part of this, being slow to anger. Christians believe, far too often believe, that when they get saved, they have to kind of be this calm, um, I'm blessed, highly favored in the Lord person that doesn't get angry. And the truth is, is that God gives us the emotion of anger to show that there's something we care about. But what he acknowledges later on is our anger must have limits and boundaries, like all of our emotions. So what's important to know? Far too often we try to say no to anger instead of being slow to anger. That's what he's saying. He's not saying say no to anger because you'd be denying that you feel a certain way. But when he says slow, he's saying that oftentimes anger is a speedy response done with no kind of mental dialogue or prayerfulness. In the Bible, anger is most often pictured like heat or something on a stove that gets turned up really hot. If left, it could destroy a home. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says it this way. Paul says, be angry. Be angry. You angry? Okay, you angry then. Let's be honest about it. Why pretend you're not angry? But what he says is be angry and do not sin. So automatically we learn that anger is not sin. But what he says is do not let the sun go down on your anger. So he's using a time limit. He's saying lingering anger is the problem. Undealt with anger is the problem and prayerlessness is the problem. And then he says thirdly there, if anger is undealt with all day or even thinking day after day, there's someone who has targeted you and wants you to live in that anger. That's why he says lingering anger is the devil's opportunity. He targets those who are unwilling to unleash their anger to the Lord or even talk to the person about it. And this is how we have such destruction in relationships. This is why so many of our work relationships, friendships, and our community dies 
because we never talk to the person about it. We never pray about it. And so all of a sudden they dissolve and they end. The Bible uses another word for anger in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 20. Paul is talking about all these deeds of the flesh. He says the worst of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity. He gets to enmity, strife, jealousy, and then he says fits of anger. If you have another version, it would say outbursts of wrath. And this word wrath here is different than the word in Ephesians. This word in the Greek is thumos. And it's the idea that anger is boiled up. It's agitated. It's this, at this point where it's extremely hot and ready to explode. <coughs> okay, any coffee drinkers here? Any coffee drinkers in the building? Amen. Oh, praise God for you. We love you. We love you and God loves you too. Uh, years ago, uh, the, co the, the cold coffee, iced coffee craze started. I did not join that ministry. Uh, I like my coffee hot. Hey, it could be 95 degrees. I want it piping hot. I don't need cold coffee. Cold coffee is like an oxymoron to me. I don't get it. But bless you if that's your thing, okay? I like my coffee hot. I have here what's called a Yeti. If you don't know what a Yeti is, you're missing out, okay? And what this does is it, it just keeps the heat on here. Look at the smoke. Just praise God. Just I got, I got this thing a half hour ago, and it's still doing this ministering to me, okay? The minute that I put this top on, this Yeti functions like a thermos. And the thermos now keeps the condition. So whether I wanted to keep it cold or keep it hot, the thermos keeps the temperature the same way. Understand the word fits of anger or outbursts of wrath, the word thumos is where we get the idea of thermos. It's the idea of keeping the heat down. And so understand your life, when you don't pray, you are creating thumos, a thermos, you're keeping the heat in. You're being very destructive to who you are, but prayer takes the top off. It cools down your emotions. It causes you to have a new temperature, the presence of the Holy Ghost. That's what slows your anger down. And so what I want to encourage you to think about is the toxicity of keeping the top on. Many of you, you've had outbursts of wrath, and the person that you mad at, you ain't even really mad at them. You mad at like six, seven other things. And it's what we call displaced anger. The, the person just was up on the menu. It was just a Monday, and they just walked up. And it was, they're like, what I do? And it's just like, you was just in the way, you know? And they're just dealing with all that you're dealing with. Because you got six or seven other things that you haven't actually given to the Lord. We see this idea of thumos, this anger that's kept on with the lid. The story of Cain and Abel. You may know the story in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, the Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Well, Abel did also. He brought, though, the firstborn 
of his flock, so he brought a better offering, and their fat portions, better sacrifice. Abel offered God his very best. Well, the verse goes on to say in Genesis 4, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, all he's saying is God affirmed Abel's offering, but he did not affirm Cain's offering. It wasn't his best. Now, look what it says. So Cain was very, what's that say? Angry. I'm mad. And his face fell. Now, here's what Cain can do. Cain can go to the Lord and be like, you know, God, I really feel like I was given my best. Why didn't you have regard for my offering like you had regard for my brother's offering? Cain could have went to the Lord. But look what the next verse says. It, the, the, it says, the Lord said to Cain. The Lord, now watch this. If you looked earlier, it said his face fell. So Cain is not talking to God. He's not talking to anybody. He's keeping it bottled up. His face fell, meaning we got to look at him to see his countenance because he's not communicating. And it says that God says to Cain, why are you angry? Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Why has your face fallen? I'm noticing something's wrong with you. Tell me about it. But here's what he says. It's as if there's a pause in the conversation. Cain, let me tell you something. If you do well, i.e., if you deal with this with me, if we talk this out, will you not be accepted? He says, but let me warn you, my son, if you do not do well, watch this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you, Cain, must rule over it. Because what he's saying is it will rule over you. He's saying, I've noticed something inside you, Cain. There's anger inside of you, and you're not dealing with it. And I want you to know that anger, and he's really making a correlation to what happened there in Ephesians, where it says, if you let the sun go down on your anger, it will give the devil an opportunity. Here in Genesis 4, he says, sin is crouching at the door. It's the same idea. Undealt with anger is the devil's workshop. And he targets those who are unwilling to talk to others, but on the inside, they're boiling. On the inside, they are enraged. They come to church, say, hey, how you, do? how you doing? But you mad. You give big praise on Sunday, but you're also big mad. And you don't talk to God about it. So what happens here? Cain, verse 8, Cain spoke to, his, spoke to Abel, his brother. What did they talk about? What do you think they talked about? I don't know. But I know one thing. Abel don't know he about to be killed. I know that much. So it says, Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field. So they just go to work. Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and what did he do? Killed him. 
Abel had no idea Cain was mad at him because Abel did nothing to Cain. And who was Cain really mad at? He was mad at God. But what did he do? He had displaced anger and he unleashed it on someone who had no business being killed. One of the things that I said in the last service, and it is worth mentioning again, is I can't tell you how often people have the weight of the world on them, but we feel it. And you saw that in some of your homes. Your dad, your mom, they have the weight of the world on it, and you felt it. And instead of being able to deal with their anger, they lashed out. Lashed out on you, lashed out on family, lashed out on coworkers. And in that environment, no one feels safe. Or there were people in your home where you knew there was a problem, we just didn't talk about it. We know there's an issue, but it's just not dealt with. And what the Bible does therapeutically for us is it encourages us to take the lid off in prayer. Psalm 13 David says, well, how long, oh Lord? I mean, come on. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I mean, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I'm out here in wars for your glory, your name, your fame. I'm not winning, and I've got to understand why am I not winning, God? I blame you for my losses. Now, look at David. Now, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. But part of what gave David uh, being a man after God's own heart is that he would have honest conversations with God. And far too often, we have these etiquette-filled conversations with God. We'd be like, hey, God, how you doing? You good? Did you lose weight? You looking good lately, God. Anyway, so I got this thing I'm dealing with. And all of a sudden, we think we have to impress God. And what I've said before and what I will say again is we have to move from PG-13 prayers to rated R prayers to honest, raw, real prayers. I'm not talking about where you should be. I'm talking about where you are actually at. That's what David does. And when David has this conversation, look what ends up happening to him. He says, consider and answer me. Answer me. I'm tired. Oh, Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Look at the weight that this is having on me. Lest my enemy, look how he brings up his enemy again. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice over me because I am shaken. I'm tired. I have these enemies. But you, you've got to read Psalm 13. Now, not every psalm ends this way, but have you ever talked to somebody and they calm you down? Have you ever had that bad? You'd be like, you mad? You'd be like, you right. You know what I mean? Look, look, he's like, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And what's happening is the presence of God 
is ministering to him because he is remembering God in the midst of his emotions. He's remembering the goodness, the mercy, and the love of God. Even though he feels like his enemies are winning, he's giving God control. Can I tell y'all why we ain't got a stage today? Tell y'all why we ain't got a stage today. We normally have a stage, but Con Edison decided where we put our stage to put concrete down without us knowing. And now the concrete has now dried up and we can't open the door. And we called the owners and the owners were like, man, that's tough. I was like, tough, what are, what are we talking about right now? <laughs> I'm shaving at 10 o'clock. I get this text, there's videos, we can't open the door. So I'm like, wow, I'm preaching on anger. Thank you for testing my heart, Lord. <laughs> I'm wilding. I'm like, we ain't got a stage. How are we not gonna have a stage? Y'all don't, what is so different today right now? No, I'm just, no, I'm just serious. Like, not having a stage, did that stop the word of God going forth? No, but what happens when you get angry is you become hyper-focused on the things you don't have. And you know what's actually happening? I'm focused on stages and I'm taking away the power of God and the control of God because I can't open that door, but God can open any door I, he, I could ever happen. If God wants to be closed, then nothing can stop God. In other words, I can be okay with closed doors because I can preach without stages. I don't need a stage. I, I don't need a stage. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was, that was my prayer request when I got in here. I was like, I need to make sure I put a double entendre together. So. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying to you, the devil gets you to hyper-focus on everything you don't have. And he makes your complaints long and your prayers short. And all, all I'm saying is this, self-control is nothing more than the fruit of giving God control. Because I don't know if you know this, he's still in control. Stage or not, opportunity or not, money or not, relationship or not. If they're for me, wonderful. But if they're against me, God is still for me. Prayer is releasing all of that energy, all that thumos. It's releasing the heat with the coolness of his presence. Growth groups, I encourage you guys to get into community because you need community. I have a therapist. I meet with my therapist once a month. Therapy is great talk to them, they calm me down, they give me perspective. But I just want you to know, therapy and community are wonderful. But if you get all the therapy in the world and all the community in the world, but you have no prayer life, you are gonna look to humans to solve your problems. And I don't know this, but you pay for that therapist, amen? And it's wonderful, it's wonderful, but that's a paid relationship. And community, not everybody's available at two in the morning, okay? Not, not, people aren't saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the Lord is available and he has an everlasting love. And what I'm trying to say is if you want to decrease and slow the anger, you've got to increase your prayer life so that thumos would be released. 
And when you release it, it is like a fragrance to the Lord. He is honored when you talk to him in the midst of the heat of your anger. Lastly, James says the anger that we want slow, he says in verse 20, keep in mind that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's interesting because here it's as if he's saying anger has maybe worked for some of you. And so I want to pause and just acknowledge that anger is useful. You can make people respect you. People can back up from you because they know they got some thumos. It might produce respect. It might produce honor. It might even produce a greater resume, but it will not produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God was produced not by God putting his anger on display. The righteousness of God was produced when he poured the wrath, when he poured his anger out, not on us, but on his son. How'd you grow up? You grew up in a home where people were always exploding. Maybe you grew up in a home where people stonewalled. You knew something was wrong, but you had to figure it out. Maybe you grew up around people that are petty. They don't tell you the problem to your face, but they do things to hurt you behind your back. I wonder if you've ever dealt with someone who is mature. We don't have enough mature people, praise God. Do you know what happens when you have conflict with a mature person and you talk about it? Guess what? It's over. Isn't that refreshing? Like, yeah, you know, we had a problem and then we're going to have coffee and then we talk about it and then once the conversation is over, that person doesn't bring it up again. And they don't bring it up to other people. Have you ever experienced that? Not enough, probably, right? Because that's called maturity. Because when you deal with a mature, safe person, enmity can be over. I could even say it's finished. It's dealt with. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And some of you in real relationships, you talked about it with people, but you still like, you still mad. You, you good? I know we talked about it last week, but are you good? Or maybe you're that type of person where you have conversations, but you still keep a lot in your chamber. And this is why it's important for us to understand how the righteousness of God was produced. Lastly, in Romans 3, it says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Look, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. 
to be received by faith. Now, if you want to impress your friends, bring up the word propitiation randomly over coffee one day with them. But this is all, propitiation, all it means is God poured out all his wrath on his son so that you would know when you sin, you're not mad at me no more. It's over. It's finished. It's been dealt with. And you know what that makes God? Safe to talk to. Safe to be honest with. Safe to even be angry with. Your relationship is safe. Do you know the safer the relationship is, the more honest you'll become? The more safe the relationship is, you tell people what you really think. That's why kids tell you everything, praise the Lord. My God. Daddy, can we go to Cane's? Cane's just opened up. Can we have Dippin' Dots? Can we, can we, can we, can we? Because they feel safe. And they know it's paid for. Amen. That's what it preaches. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Today, I just want you to know two things. Accept the vision that God has for your life to be a controlled person. I'm not saying you're there. I'm just saying accept that vision. You have visions of family, visions of friends, visions of even church people. I'm saying accept the vision of being a controlled person under the power of the Holy Spirit. Accept that vision. But secondly, in order to become that, you have to be the kind of person that feels safe in the presence of God. So you have to accept the propitiation of your sins because he says it's accepted by faith. You've got to know that you know that my, my grandmother used to say that. I said, Grandma, how you know you saved? She said, baby, you know that you know that you know. And I'm telling you, you got to know that you know that you know that there is no sin that I could commit to make you angry at me. I seen your anger and it was dealt with by your son. And you dealt with it, God. And so I can be free in my conversation and I can tell you exactly how I feel. And so with that, I pray the Lord Jesus Christ would speak to your heart today. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your kindness towards us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that even now, you would, by your grace, by your grace, touch us even now. Lord, would you, even now, would you come and would you speak to the heart of the one that is confused about their walk with God, speak to the heart of the one that feels unsafe with you. Maybe they're looking at you like the father or family that they grew up with, wondering, what can I do to hurt your feelings? Lord, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would speak even now. I know your anger has been put on display. Though I may sin and accept, I may have some consequences to it, I will never lose the relationship. Even now, Spirit of the living God, Fall fresh on us and speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder if you would stand with me. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at Bridge Church NYC.
Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.